Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by a special guest, Brian Giberman. Brian, how we doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a long time since I've been on a podcast. How long are we talking? Oh, I haven't taped uh, months, and I used to do them quite frequently. So what did I get myself into here? Was this a mistake? Yeah, no, I might be a little (laughs) rusty. We're going to have to uh, lean on you to carry us. All right, perfect. Uh, yeah, so no Kyle this week. I will, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear from him later this uh, later this week on Thursday's episode. But we are here to talk about the New York Knicks losing yet another game in mostly disgusting fashion, especially in the first quarter, giving up 44 points to the Magic. Uh, a nice run in the second, and then they kind of hung around until the end, much like they've done all season long. They dropped to 4-13, and 2-8 and eight on the road, have really struggled to pick up any meaningful wins. Their wins have come against the worst teams in the league. So, Brian, first impressions from the game, major takeaways. What did you see tonight from Fizdale's New York Knicks? So I think there's a really basic point that we're seeing with the Knicks that transpires based on who's playing and who's not. When you play your good defensive players, you tend to be better at defense. That makes a lot of sense. When you play your bad defensive players, you tend to be worse at defense. So as we've seen this starting lineup change, and he went away from the group of, it was Frank, Tim, Dotson, Vonley, and Mitchell Robinson. Yep. The defense was playing quite good. I think that I believe that they had a defensive rating. That group had uh, was high 90s, low 100s, be the equivalent of one of the best defenses in the league. And as they and the reason that is because you're playing four positive defenders surrounded with Tim Hardaway, whose defense isn't great, but he's trying harder and it's a little bit better than it's been in the past. But when he's the worst defender on the court and the only one that's a negative rather than numerous players that are negatives, you can hide him a little bit better. And that's starting to show since this starting lineup change has been put into effect and the struggles are really, the defense has dropped off mightily. Yeah, it's been frustrating from my perspective because all year I've had some issues with how Fizdale's decided to deploy some of these lineups. And I get it. Kyle and I have said all year long, Kyle Corbo and I have said, he's going to try anything. He's going to see what works. He's going to experiment with some different lineups. But this iteration just feels like it could never really be a successful unit. And I get that they had some nice moments in New Orleans on Friday, and we've seen, you know, some some different things from Moutier recently that have been really encouraging. Uh, it just feels like this is a kind of lineup that will struggle to attain any sort of long success because of those defensive deficiencies. We saw today when Frank and Dotson came in, the Knicks defense immediately upticked their defensive energy. They were more engaged. They were willing to make more of an effort, and the Magic started to slow down after just a ridiculous start to the game. So it's difficult when you have a lineup out there that just doesn't have enough defensive guys. And 
Frank, although he did not score in 22 minutes, I think those watching would say that he still made an impact on the defensive. And I think Dotson, not his best defensive game. He got beat backdoor a few times. But their impact really can't be understated, and the Knicks do need those guys if they really want to start to win some games and close out games specifically. The whole the whole team struggled with those backdoor cuts tonight. And Trier think, had a couple too where he got beat. Yeah, and Fisdale was right to pull Dotson because he was it happened a couple times to him. I also an underrated part of the problems with that is can, the bigs Cantor and Vonley aren't really long, and Cantor especially puts no ball pressure ever on the person he's defending, so it's very easy for them to make that pass. Even when it, if so, like when you have Mitchell Robinson out there, his length is going to make those passing angles harder. But Cantor, he's just old. He's either always just sinking back, or he he's just playing off a guy because he doesn't have the foot speed to get up on someone and also contain their dribble. So he has no choice but to sink back. And it, you just there's a level like you see it when Frank and Dotson are playing is that there's a there's ball pressure and Mitchell Robinson I would include also there's just you have more ball pressure on and off the ball and you're just breaking up the other team's rhythm and it shows in the numbers when Frank the Knicks on the season have a now have a 112 defensive rating I'm not sure if this includes tonight's game I don't know if nba.com is updated yet yeah but Frank and Dotson together when they're on the court together a 103.5 defensive rating when Frank and Mitchell Robinson are on the court together a 102.2 defensive rating. And when all three of those guys are on the court together, they played together for 147 minutes this season, a 98.7 defensive rating. So if Fisdale, I, I want to see Fisdale live up to his words and put the focus on defense. That's what I was excited for about him and to establish a defensive identity with this team because they have the pieces to be a good defensive team if you play the right guys. And he needs to go back to doing that. Yeah. And it's, great when the numbers back up exactly what our eyes tell us because we're watching and we say when Frank and Dotson and Robinson are on the floor, it's obvious to us that the opposing offenses sort of wilter a little bit and they aren't able to do the same sort of things with those guys on the floor. So when that's backed up in the numbers and it's baked into there, that's all you can ask for from a team. And I think I'm curious how you feel about this because Fizz made the comment when they asked him about the lineup change, they brought up one of the Knicks beat reporters brought up that they had this really strong defensive rating. And Fizz said, well, we're not winning games, so that doesn't really matter. That point was did not sit well with me. Did you see him make that point? How did you feel about that? Yeah, when I read the full quote, I was with you that I didn't like what he said. But I think when I read the full quote, it didn't bother me as much. That's fair. I, because I think what he was saying was he was just trying to find – he was trying to maybe balance out the offense and defense between the bench unit and the starters a little better was what I read into it. And it wasn't really saying that I don't want to play these guys together because it's not working. It, we're not getting wins. It's more how can I balance this out to try and get more wins even though I know this works. And I think to this point, the changes he's made to balance hasn't had the impact you'd want it to. So I'm curious to see where he goes from this point forward. Yeah, we'll have to see because he's talked about these lineup changes coming in bunches and they could be due for another one pretty soon. 
Let's talk briefly because we'll have some more time to talk about some of the guard play and specifically Moutier and, and Burke, who both had nice performances tonight. But I'm curious where you sit on Kevin Knox right now. Two of eight from the field. He looked lethargic for most of the game. I certainly was worried about him coming into the league about his motor issues. It was one of the main points of his that made me nervous about his potential as a player because he can be out there and sometimes just completely disappear from a game. We've seen him on defense not exactly be engaged at all times. His shot selection, really stressful the past few games. He has those comes he comes around the screen and he takes that mid-range jumper instead of driving to the hoop, which is just the worst shot you can possibly take in basketball, especially when you're a budding rookie trying to establish some sort of credible NBA offense. So after what we saw tonight and from recent performances, where do you sit on Knox right now? Oh, he was obviously frustrated when he got yanked early in the first quarter. He went and sat down on the bench and he just kicked like he put his legs out all the way straight and then was just kind of like slumped forward. Yeah. And his body language was pretty bad there. He didn't seem to be happy that he was the first one taken out of the game. Um, With Knox, it's going to be we have to have patience with him he's look I I'm when the draft was around I would have taken one of the bridges but I understood why they took Knox and you're banking on developing his physical tools into something more than he is now the Knicks have you and it's it's hard because they have two guys with Frank and Knox that have a lot of physical gifts and physical uh, physical attributes and like tools that you can work with that they, they clearly have talent. Yeah. But it's going to take some time and patience with both of them and waiting it out is going to be frustrating at times. And we'll see if for the Knicks sake, hopefully they do reach the potential that for why they were drafted in the slots they were. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a slog with those guys. Mitchell Robbins, too, you can throw in there, who just had his lunch eaten by Vucevic today. Just five fouls in nine minutes, could not stay on the floor. Uh, a lot of the issues we had with Robinson about his jumping and his just willingness to attack a guy at the first sign of him shooting, uh, we saw a lot of that come to fruition tonight. Before we continue, there's something that we need to talk about, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make your case. Uh, give us your case of why Clyde uh, sucks on the broadcast. Oh, we're really doing. He I'm, just does. I'm doing it. You got to say it. You got to give your case. I understand why people like him, but my press. I'm watching something 82 times a year, and some of the games more than once. I want someone who can really discuss what's happening on the court, and he just generalizes thing and does he doesn't really teach you anything about what's going on you get like the fun old stories and you get the rhyming but you're not he's not explaining to you what's happening in the game or why something's happening he he doesn't he doesn't add anything to your experience if you're there to actually understand the sport of basketball so he just doesn't do anything for me so you just hate fun in general no, I enjoy like I'm enjoying, like it's this Knicks team for the most part. I'm enjoying watching this year, even though they are even uh, playing 
worse than I thought they were. Like right. I can, I'm able to take positives out of most games and be happy with what they're doing, no matter whether I'm nitpicking some of the lineups or complaining about Cantor or the Hazonia, the guys that have been frustrating. There's always something for me that I can enjoy. So I don't think I hate fun. I just don't think Clyde is good at his job. I think that's fair. There's certainly a part of it that's frustrating because he clearly doesn't pay attention to anyone else in the NBA but the Knicks, and that always cracks me up. But it's I I understand the point, but you're wrong. So just just enjoy that, and everyone tweet at him and tell him why he's wrong. Let's talk about the guard play. So Moutier and Burke, Trey Burke with 31 points off the bench, just an incredible shooting performance, although I did think in the fourth quarter he kind of shot them out of the game. He had some tough attempts, especially from three and just some pull-ups that were not what we were normally accustomed to seeing Trey Burke do. Um, He had a great game, and Moutier we've seen over the last week play pretty well. He's shooting, you know, probably 50% from the floor this year so far. So what have been the most encouraging parts about those two guys for you? So yeah, Burke, the last two games, 21 of 33 from the field, 31 and 24 points. He did like those threes. You're right. He killed them. He was one of seven from three. Yeah. not good. It's hard to get, it's hard to get on him because what, got them back into this game. The, the Burke and Frank backcourt, the offense mixed with the defense, was really the key to them getting back into this game. So it's hard to pick on him too much. But he did hurt them in the fourth quarter when they had a chance to pull it out. Um, Hardaway has been great the last three games since he's been back from injury. 32 points on 20 shots, 30 points on 23 shots, 20 points on 12 shots, 82 points on 55 shots overall in the last three games. So a lot of what the Knicks are able to do and why I like those defense lineups that are maybe a little bit offensively is because of how efficient Hardaway has been able to be that you can kind of get away with some of the lesser offensive players because he's been able to handle such a big load of the offense where it'd be fun where I want to see the more defensive base groups but including Burke in the rotation and getting rid of Hizonia. And I think that would be, uh, that could be something that could help push them a little bit over the top. Is Burke, I think, is a pretty big upgrade over Hizonia in the rotation. I've been out on Hizonia since basically day one. He's been just, oh my God, so frustrating to watch. And it's two straight DNPs for him. I think he was sick tonight. So that might have explained why he didn't play. But. Nevertheless, he's just been wildly frustrating. And I think I had some hope for him this year. Did you think when he was coming into the Knicks, were you like, okay, this is a guy I like and has some potential, or were you kind of tepid about it from the start? No, I was intrigued by him. I thought he was someone who could build off of getting the play he had at the end of last year when he started getting more minutes. But he's been he's been pretty disappointing. Brutal. Just brutal. Another Frank stat that I saw tweeted out, which I think speaks volumes again to the defensive metrics that we've talked about. The Knicks are now, let me see how many minutes Frank played tonight, 22. So the Knicks are 3-2 and two when Frank plays over 30 minutes, and they're 1-11 when he plays less than 30 minutes. And obviously with that being a small sample size, we can only put so much stock into that. But I do think that matters, and I do think it's not something we should overlook that when he's playing a lot of minutes they've been able to win a few games. And when he ends up tethered to the bench or isn't given as much of a leash, they've struggled to close out games. 
Yeah, because I mean, he's just Moutier is just not as it's he's just not as good of a player as him. Right now, Moutier is let's see, so he is he's shooting fifty percent from the field and thirty one percent from three. Now the problem he was a minus twenty one in twenty three minutes tonight, even though he was five for eight. Now the good and Moutier's been better this year. He's been I'd say he's been about an average player. He's giving more effort on defense. He hasn't even though he floats a little bit at times, uh, his on-ball defense has been a little bit better. And he's trying, there's definitely more of an effort given there. But he's still not finishing well enough at the rim. He And it seems like he is, but the numbers say in the restricted area, he's shooting 52%. That's really bad. That's exactly the same as he was last year, even though it seems like it's been improved. Yeah. And why I don't think this stretch of play is going to really bear out any long-term impact is he's just in in the paint he's 7 of 12 mid-range he's 6 of 11 last year he was 31 percent in the paint and 35 percent in the mid-range so I don't see his shooting being any sort of sustainable and that's once that drops off it we're going to get back into that really negative play again which is which is unfortunate but I just think that's who he is yeah, and even as the young player that he is, and I was willing, especially last year, I will always say that that trade they made, you do it 10 times out of 10, even with how bad, mostly, Moutier has been as a Nick. But you can give these guys plenty of opportunity to see if they can grow. I just think Moutier is a bad basketball player, and I don't think that there's any reason for us to think that that's going to be changing anytime soon, despite a couple encouraging recent performances. And you mentioned defensively, he's been a little better. He's... Certainly, his mid-range jumper looks much smoother this year. I think that's been the number one thing that we can see is that jumper has looked much more comfortable, and he just looks like he's he's practiced that, and he is a comfortable player in that scenario. But the other side of that token is that he ends up resorting to those way too much because he ends up, the classic Moutier is he has the advantage on the defender, and he takes the step-back dribble into the mid-range jumper rather than go to the hoop because, as you mentioned, he can't finish well in the restricted area, so he's afraid to get there, and it's not something that he's ever done well, and it's one of those bad habits that is just going to stick with him as a bad basketball player, and it's almost impossible to shed because it's clearly baked into exactly who he is as an NBA player at this point. The funny thing is this team, they wouldn't have been able to pay him, but they actually could use Doug McDermott. I liked McDermott, too. I thought he was yep. really useful. He was he was a good player for them last year that with a better coach would have been incorporated more. You could play him at the three and four. You They desperately need his – they could really use his three-point shooting this season. Um, I, yeah, I like – and he was better defensively than I expected. So I was, I was on the same concept as you with that Moutier trade. I was like, all right, they can give him a shot. It's not a big deal. But I think we, what we've seen is diminishing returns from that trade because of the, insin, the insistence on using him so much across from last season to this season that it's actually turned out to be more harmful because he's on the roster. Yeah, and then it, you get into the issue of basically since the Knicks have had him, they've been a tanking team and they haven't had any aspirations to be a winning squad. So... What's 
the verdict then on a guy like Moutier where, okay, it's fine, they're losing games, but is he also stunting the development of other players around him? And does he have any hope of being a good player? I don't necessarily think he stunts development just because I do think that he is a capable passer. He's not like, I like, I think he's a better passer than Trey Burke. One of the reasons why I'm not crazy about Burke is because I don't think he has a great grasp on just being a, a team player and, and moving the ball around very much besides the, the connection that him and Cantor have had for a little bit. But it's the question that you have with these guards with Burke and Moutier that clearly have capped ceilings. How many minutes are we allotting to these guys and what kind of hope should we have for them to even be any sort of long-term option for the Knicks? I don't think there's an ounce of that. No, I, I thought where I've been, where I thought Moutier would be useful was getting Knox some buckets in transition because he's always been good at that pass ahead. But I, I, we haven't really seen those two connect in transition much. Knox hasn't really been getting out on the break at all. And that's probably where he can be most successful at the NBA level right now is when he gets that full head of steam and he can really use his length and extend and finish at the rim. He's not ready to do that in tight spaces yet, even though he had that one nice finish on the backdoor cut tonight. He did. But he struggles when there's a lot of bodies around. So getting him out in the open court is should be a top priority in finding ways to do that. And that's not something we've seen much of. And that's something that Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Trier are also good at and adept at. And certainly it's a skill of theirs that we are encouraged by. And I think it's been frustrating for some because the Knicks have essentially gone away from what we saw them do in the preseason where they were moving the basketball, they were running up and down the floor, they were working in transition pretty well, and that started to fall off. Part of that was because of the lineup change. They slowed down the pace thanks to just the the composition of the unit didn't lend itself towards that style of play. But I think for some, there's been frustration that the Knicks aren't playing the same way they were, and that's led to some of their struggles and some of the reason why maybe it's not as fun as it was last month or two weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a... It's a weird roster with um, – and they, he's trying to – and Fisdale's trying to placate people. I, I, I have to imagine that he knows it's not smart to play Enos Cantor and Mitchell Robinson together. I'd hope so. I would sure hope so. But on a night when – and Cantor, for all the crap that we give him, and I don't – his defense was – the offense and rebounding was enough tonight that you could justify – implying when you also add in the Mitchell Robinson foul trouble. So I'm not going to kill him for that tonight, but there's definitely, he's trying to keep these guys happy and not lose them, which is understandable, but that's coming at the expense of there's nothing wrong with playing Mitchell Robinson or Noah Bonley with four guards and wings. And we're losing that because he's going to these two big lineups more than he should. And I'd rather see them play smaller groups that can space the court better and shoot more threes. I certainly agree. And even if you're trying to maximize the Ennis Cantors of the world, you're not maximizing him by playing him next to Vonley or Robinson that aren't spacing the floor at all. And specifically Robinson, I don't understand why those lineups are ever trotted out there. It is so clearly not built to succeed 
in any way. And they've played some minutes together. They played some minutes together today. Just It just doesn't work. But with Cantor, if you put shooters around him, at least it gives him more space to bang in the paint because when you put another guy down there that is not spacing the floor, all of a sudden they're double teaming him, they're triple teaming him, and he's not necessarily great at passing out of that. So all of a sudden, we, there was one shot today where there was literally five Orlando Magic players around Cantor, and he attempted the shot, which was baffling in its own right. It was it was baffling, but I think it's the Cantor conundrum at this point of the year has been interesting to follow because I think. Those of us that watch the Knicks every day know that he's been a problem all season long, despite what his numbers say. So take this for example, right? One of my buddies, huge NBA fan, huge fantasy guy, and doesn't watch the Knicks nearly as much as I do. Obviously, he's a Nets fan. So he was like, so Ennis Cantor's been really good this year, right? And I was like, I could see why you'd think that, but it's simply not the case and I think that on a night like this where he has 21 and 19, we can sometimes get too much in a tizzy about his defense, but at the same time, we still have to keep ourselves honest about it and be honest about what kind of role that he actually serves on this team and whether he is a useful NBA player, even on nights when he has this sort of enormous offensive output. No, he was still a minus four despite all the rebounds and points he scored. And I know single game plus minus isn't the greatest indicator of anything, even though I've used it a couple times tonight. But that really shows you like how good he has to play to have that positive impact is really it it's it's not good. So when Cantor, I'm trying to look up tonight yeah, I mean, he, tonight he had a 116 offensive rating, but he also had a 100, uh, 124 defensive rating. Yep. So that tells you everything you need to know about how he played. And when he was off the court, oh, God, they were they were negative 32 when he was off the court tonight. So that that's not the best exemplify <laughs> of, of that, but sure. <laughs> He's just a... It, just an enigma to this team at this point because now I'll, I'll pose this question to you. Before the season, Kyle and I and Corbo were basically convinced that Cantor will always be starting. He is getting paid $18 million. The Knicks will need his output. And when they went away from him so soon and inserted Robinson into the starting lineup, I think it took us all by surprise. And one of the reasons that I said that I didn't think it was the best decision was even beyond a basketball reason. And I said, he's a veteran that is here for the team and one of the voices as in the youngest or second youngest team in the league that they're going to have to rely on to be a leader, quote unquote. And we've seen him since he's been benched have some bad body language on on the court. He's been doing these ellipses tweets that he said are only going to get longer He's so, I can't stand him. He just, no, I agree. And I think everyone out there that follows on social and watches these games feels the exact same way. I think we're all just fed up with him, with this whole charade that he does on social media. And sure, we appreciate his efforts out there. He works on the boards. The man works for his boards. But in other ways of the game, he just doesn't work as hard. I tweeted out a clip where he tried to save a ball 
earlier in the game and he threw it to the other team and the Magic go down the court in transition and it's like a 10-second play in Orlando's or in the Knicks basket where they're defending the basket and Orlando's working in transition and Cantor never even entered the frame. It's those little moments where it's just like, what is he doing out there? Yeah, his effort, I thought, for the most part was better. Yes, I agree. He had one play where he should have stepped over and tried to and Aaron Gordon got an easy dunk and he just stood there and watched but he took one he took a foul he actually took a foul on a guy trying to dunk that was good he dove for a ball and at one point in the game hustling that was that was good so what what Cantor did tonight like he was manageable and I can deal with if he played with the effort and intensity for the most part that he did tonight, even with all the bad, I can, I can kind of deal with it and it's not the end and it's, it's, it's okay. Well, I just came up on this with this stat, just looking while I was looking at NBA.com. I'm on the canter stuff with Frank on the court against the magic. They had a 91.5 defensive rating with Frank off the court against the magic. And that was, so he played 22 minutes in the other 26 minutes. They had a 166 defensive rating. Holy shit. 166. That is unheard of. Oh, yeah. I'll tweet. I'm going to tweet that out. Tweet it out right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait, till, I'll wait till we're done. There you go. See? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal. And it's painfully obvious watching the games. And we've talked forever. Frank is such a lightning rod amongst the fan base because the people that don't like him really don't like him and make it incredibly obvious that he's never going to be some sort of offensive player. But what we spent our time saying is, he sets the bar so high. His floor is high enough because of his defensive impact that even if his best season in the NBA, his best season, he averages 10 or 11 points per game and can be a 35 to 36% three-point shooter, with his defensive impact, that is already a good NBA player. So through that lens, it's important to judge him differently than we judge almost any other player on this roster. And that's why sometimes people can say that we coddle him, but that's not the case. It's just he's a different player to judge. The, a player I think he could kind of be like. Now, it's not not the early career version, but I, I still have hopes of him as just being like a true point guard. But another path for him might be like Andre Iguodala, the Warriors version of Andre Iguodala. Yep. An, a streaky shooter who has his moments where he shoots all right, but kind of levels out between like 33 and 36%. Does some playmaking away from the ball and can be your just glue guy on defense that defends anyone and everyone. I think I think that's kind of an intriguing comparison for what he could be if you don't get the peak of what you hope for. And that seems like a realistic option, you know? It's like the the thing from Avengers where they say there's 14 million realities. That reality where Andre Guadala is basically a model for Frank is a completely viable one. And that's something that we could see happen. And I think the better the Knicks are, the better the team is, if they acquire a star player or two and this whole thing works out for them, I think the better that Frank Nilekina is for that basketball team because you can deploy him in a much more effective manner. You don't have to ask him to do all that much, potentially. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a guy that is an elite defensive point guard that can defend one through three if you need him to. He can knock down three-point shots, and he can move the ball. I still think that in the pick and roll, he has really good just IQ, and knowing when to throw that pocket pass is something that I think from 
the jump when he came into the NBA, I, I really enjoyed. And I think it's something that he's only gotten better at. So depending on how the team texture ends up playing out is going to say a lot about what his ultimate role in the NBA is. But just as a defensive player, we need to always remember that that part of the game affects where we should think of his offensive upside in terms of just being an effective long-term asset for this team. I, I, I'll take it a step further. He, I think he can guard one through four, not just one through three. Okay. We, saw, we saw that he really, he did the best job of any Nick in the Pelicans game of guarding Julius Randle. The way he was making him catch the ball way farther out than he wanted to. He was using his length to contest. And he was really just in general being a pain in the ass for Randall, who's been freaking awesome this year. So there's Frank's versatility on defense. I, one thing I think Fisdale hasn't taken advantage enough is experimenting with smaller lineups using Frank's length and Dotson's ability to rebound to have those two guys guarding three and fours and constructing stuff built around knowing that. I wish you would do more of that rather than the two big stuff. Yeah, because Dotson, too, is another guy. He's stout. He is a strong wing defender that can certainly move down positions. And, you know, we mentioned that tonight wasn't his best defensive game, but he's still a guy out there that they should be asking to do a bit more defensively. And I think it's a good point about Frank, too. Now, through that question, let me let me pose this to you here, because obviously we haven't had Jan, so I'm curious. When the season began and when they hired Fisdale, were you excited about the hire and at game number 17 or wherever we are now, how do you feel about Fizz as the head coach of this team? I was excited about the hire. Where I am now is there's some stuff I'm slightly concerned about. I'm trying not to overreact to it because we're 20 game. What are we, 20 games in? Yeah, they're 4-13, and 13, so 17 games. 17, and he... He said he wanted to do like 20 to 25 games and kind of let players settle into roles. So after the 2025 games and we start seeing, and if he settles on something that he sticks with for 15, 20 games, even longer, I really want to wait to judge him until I see that. And really, I think I'm probably not going to have a full judgment until next season when I'm putting more stock into what they're doing on a wins and loss basis rather than what's happening this year. I'm on the same page there because the experiment thing, we knew that was going to be what he's doing this year. So I don't really care if he wants to throw Moutier out there for 25 minutes. If he plays well, sure. And we saw Trey Burke get some DMPs not that long ago because he'd been struggling and all of a sudden he comes back in here and he scores 31 points tonight. I have no problem. I still think the lineup issues are going to be a thing all year. And from a, just a perspective of watching it and trying to gauge how they can go about forming the best type of unit, I think that's frustrating, but it's all going to be a matter of how he coaches when the Knicks are supposed to be a team that's winning basketball games. Now he had said when they hit the 25th game, he wants to have the starting lineup kind of solidified at that point, and he wants to stop tugging around with it so much. What do you hope that starting unit is for game number 25 or game number 26 in a couple weeks from now? Uh, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Damian Dotson, Tim Hardaway, and Frank 
that makes the most sense. I think that's how every single person feels when it comes to the, the unit that makes the most sense because that's a combined effort of defensive length and the youth movement that the Knicks are going to be aiming for and shooting. It just makes a ton of sense on paper, certainly. Yeah, that's the that's the group I'm waiting to see most. And then off the bench, now it's not realistic, but I would stop playing Cantor and the guys I would use off the bench would be Vonley, Moutier, Burke, and Trier. And I would kind of stagger the lineups a little bit to get a little bit more size with the with the bench unit. Like I would probably pull out Knox first, bring in Vonley, then bring back Knox with the bench unit and have him get some time without Hardaway on the court and really kind of focus on him working for his shot in one-on-one situations and stuff like that. He could use some of those reps in that kind of lineup. Now, one other question I got for you, which is more of just a general outlook, because we've spent time talking about the Knicks as a tanking team, as a team that's losing, blah, blah, blah. We've also talked about how the lottery odds this year are flattening out to the point where it doesn't matter as much if you finish one through five. So when you're watching this team, and I think that you're probably a little more optimistic than even maybe us or some some of the other fans out there that we certainly interact with on a day-to-day basis, but it's the process of watching this team. It's basically looking for the signs and seeing what positive things you can take away from a game-to-game basis rather than rooting for them to lose because I think we basically have come to the point where we just watch and whether they win or lose doesn't really matter that much. It's a matter of seeing some signs. And if they lose a game like this, it's not like, yes, thank God they lost. Good for the tank. It's just, okay, that kind of sucked. Why did this happen? What can we take away from it? So when you're watching all of these games and as you're looking into the next several months where we're still going to have to watch the Knicks be a bad basketball team and lose a lot, what's your feeling on that kind of thing, watching a bad basketball team play and rooting for that team? Uh, right now, I'm actually – I am rooting for them to win games currently. I thought they would be in the 28 to 35 range. Right now, it probably looks like it's going to be under that, but I don't think it's out of the question as the season goes on that maybe they learn how to run offense better in these close games and they start doing a little bit a little bit better. Uh, but um, my base – I if they're playing the right players – I want them to win, but I don't mind if the losses come organically. I don't want them intentionally tanking, playing the wrong players, and stunting the growth of their youth. Like a, a, to tank would be you play Moutier and Cantor each thirty-five minutes, and you know Luke go fourteen and whatever. I'm not. I don't feel like doing the math right there. And they, they could easily do that if they want to. I would rather play the better young players and let them grow and develop. And if wins come, that's great because you're winning with guys that are going to be a part of your core in the future. If they're losses, I'm not overly upset about them because I understand. I do understand that getting another high-level player and being able to get someone like Zion Williamson and put him with Porzingis, like that, that would basically be perfect. Like You couldn't construct a player better to play with Kristaps at the at the five he's basically like a larger version of Julius Randle is kind of how I think of Zion maybe maybe even a better passer too so 
there's there's value in them losing games. So I'm not going to freak out either way. But I do on a night to night basis. Like when I was watching them play the match tonight, I was rooting them for them to win. Yeah, I agree. My next question was going to be if you'd watched the college guys because we've talked about that too. And even though it's early in the season. Zion Williamson is like nothing we've ever seen before. We basically spend the first five or ten minutes of every podcast just fawning over him and wondering what sort of act of God could happen to allow the Knicks to get a player like him because it would just be the absolute best thing to ever happen ever. I haven't seen a ton of him. I've watched like the people that put together the highlights of like the ones that go like three minutes long or whatever. I've watched some of that. But I really so I'm a Michigan fan. And growing up, Michigan, the Duke, Michigan, like I hate Duke with a passion. You come to the right place. I do not want to watch Duke be good at basketball. (laughs) And Michigan's really good again this year. And I'm already picturing them losing in the final four to them. And I'm enraged about it already. Good Michigan win today. They are a very, very good team. They have one of the best defenses in the country again. And the offense is starting to click a little bit they'll they'll be in the sweet 16 elite eight final four mix again this year so i'm ready to have a heart attack again <laughs> yeah i love charles matthews he's one of my favorite players in the country really enjoy watching him i think uh the the thing that i've had to to fight with is also being a duke hater like coach k is one of my least favorite people on the entire planet being a duke hater but then also watching them and being like i don't think i can root against this team because it's just so fun to watch these three guys play basketball, but then I look at the jersey again and I'm like, oh shit, like they're actually Duke and this makes me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, that's why I've just been avoiding it. I they're on they're on Monday night, I think. So I might give in and watch them a little bit finally. This with how the draft pick situation is trending. Yes. I'm gonna have to, but I really don't want to. <laughs> they play on ESPN two at five tomorrow. So put it on your calendar. A, a decent against someone halfway decent. Isn't San Diego State usually halfway decent? I yeah, think they're that's usually who- pretty good. I mean, Duke's 14-point favorites, which I think that would speak volumes to San Diego State being like a competent team because Duke is going to have some big lines, even in the ACC. Like, if they'll play at Clemson or something, they could be favored by, by over 10. So I think it could be a competitive game. So that's something to put on your calendar for everyone else out there, too. want to get another taste of the Duke guys because that's all we've been been talking about, and that's even this early in the season – that's basically what people are. When the Knicks lose a game like tonight, it's okay. Let's get off some jokes about Zion Williamson because that's the hope that we have for five or six months from now when we have to wait and over these lottery balls and the odds are all these. It's just it's crazy that we're talking about this this early in the season, but it's also a necessary evil of the juncture that the Knicks are at. Yeah, the one thing, and I've I've been talking about Durant a lot. I've um. I would say the way this team is trending, the likelihood of them getting him might be getting a little lower. I think they needed to be a little bit more competent this season to be able to get him in free agency. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking Durant, too. After the recent stretch, yeah, it certainly feels like uh, they would have to prove something. But I've also said that I don't think it's necessarily a basketball decision for him. So I think even if the Knicks are really bad, they would still have a shot just because the narrative side of it has always made more sense than the basketball side. Like he would understand if he was leaving Golden State that he was going to a worse basketball environment. It's a matter of the Knicks not being completely incompetent to the point where he could see it and say, okay, from a narrative standpoint, this makes sense. And then I can still do my thing, go to New York and have this happen. I think that I, 
as time goes on, I've certainly become less optimistic. I guess we'll see. We're, we're only projecting. Basically, if we're projecting this, we're trying to get inside Kevin Durant's head, which even people around him have said is an impossible task to accomplish. Yeah, that that's part of the reason I was hoping for like that 30 to 35 range. And basically, you show that you're heading in the right direction. Like I to, to get I don't think they'll get a big name free agent if they're in that lower 20s range, because there's just too many options out there for people to go like they can go to the Clippers or Sixers that are just much better teams than the Knicks are currently. So that I get the tanking, but I think that inversely impacts you in the free agency category. If the Knicks ever struck out on Durant or he like goes to the Clippers or the Warriors, do you want them to go get like, there's been talk Kemba Walker with his 60 points the other night, just an incredible show. Like, is that, would you be okay with the Knicks getting a max guy like that, that maybe isn't going to put your team over the top, but is certainly a useful NBA player and would make them better. Depends on the price. I, and I, doubt Kemba would come here but if I would take Kemba at the at a pretty significant amount I would take uh Tobias Harris is someone I think would be pretty intriguing for them that could fit into their style that they that they want to play there's a there's a couple guys out there that I think they could they could look at to add I don't if you I I believe in they should be looking to make their basketball team better and get good players and then if there comes a point where if you have good players, you show improvement and one of the truly elite elite players wants to come to you at that point, you can always find a way to get rid of the money at that time. Yeah, that's the thing is that if the Knicks need to move off of any of their contracts they have right now, they'll be able to do it no matter what. So if any big free agent decides to come here, they'll be in good shape to be able to make some moves and we'll see what happens. The Cantor thing is really curious to me. Do you actually think there's any chance that they either trade him for a bag of balls or buy him out by the time that we get to like January or February? Do you think that would happen? I would buy him out right now. <laughs> Immediately. Don't let him on the on the plane back home. Yeah. Um, I don't think a trade is feasible be, just because they're not going to take any money back. Yeah. I do think the buyout is something that makes sense for both sides and bring up Cornette and let him be your third big that can – and I'd rather have – especially because they need to shoot more threes and they could use better rim protection. So what Cornette could bring to this team is more valuable than what Cantor can bring to the team. A Luke Cornette fan, huh? Um, not as like a starting player, but I think he has a place in the league. Now we're talking. Now we're talking because I'm the biggest Cornette guy around. So that's all I need to hear. You're welcome back anytime you want. Yeah, I need to fight with Kyle about Ron Baker still. So oh, the don't. Ron Baker thing, yeah. He was upset because he, the main thing he wanted to do to get on here was just make his Ron Baker points and let you guys go at it for like an hour. to just a Ron Baker podcast. Oh, we'll, we'll, we will get that done in the future. We will not deprive <laughs> the people of that. The people need it, and we're going to give the people what they want. All right, you have anything else from tonight that you wanted to talk about? Any big picture Nick stuff before we get out of here? No, I think we, I think we hit a lot. I think we hit a lot. Courtney Lee have a place in the rotation when he's back? I think you can find a couple minutes for him here sure, and there. Sure, And his shooting, as you mentioned, will be useful because I still think as an NBA player, he can still shoot more threes. I, I don't think he's ever shot as many threes as he should be shooting, which is – I've said it about Hardaway too, and I'm glad Hardaway is even up that to a really nice level. But I think if they if Lee sticks around and he's healthy and they want to 
give him some minutes. I have no issue with that whatsoever, as long as it's not coming at the the enormous expense of some other guys. But I don't think it really will. Yeah, he's the one I think in the right circumstances they might be able to get off his contract for something. He makes way more sense for other teams because teams actually want his skill set. What kind of team in the NBA is like, wow, I really need what Ennis Cantor brings to the table to make a championship run? I don't think there's a single team out there that would say that. Yeah, but and right now you have Philly, Oklahoma City could use another shooter. I mean, the Warriors could probably even use another shooter. I haven't looked at any of those teams' contract situations to see what kind of expirings they could give the Knicks, but there's a pretty decent list of teams that you could come up with that could use Courtney Lay. There's no doubt. And the Philly thing, Wilson Chandler is an expiring contract, but people like him a lot more than I do. Like, I don't think that he's really all that useful anymore in the NBA, and I've got some pushback for feeling that way. And I, Wilson Chandler was one of my OG Knicks because as a 23-year-old, you know, when he was coming up and starting some games and, and came out at DePaul, like, I really enjoyed his game. But... Like, I think that that deal on its surface makes sense, but I don't think Philly would do it straight up. But if you're talking contracts and if Philly really needs shooting, that's the kind of deal you could see happen. We, we'd have to see if they actually would decide to make that kind of swap. Yeah, and you're just trading Lee for the contract, so you're exactly. fine. Chandler, exactly. I would guess that Philly probably doesn't want to get rid of Chandler because they need that 3-4 hybrid type that can shoot and uh, you have to see more of him. He's just coming back from an injury and right. see what he is. But I think Chandler does have a place on that, on that Sixers team. Yeah. And he did spend some time starting. I know he didn't when they played Charlotte, but yeah, we'll see. Those are a couple of vets that could, uh, their place on the Knicks is certainly not secure. So we'll have to see what happens with those guys. All right. So other than that, the Knicks will be, Back in action. Let's see when they're back in action. On Tuesday against Portland, that should be a fun one. Portland's been playing really good basketball, so we could see another loss. At least it's at home. Uh, Check out the TKW merch store. Check out all the stuff we got going on. We got some great features coming up on the site this week. Besides that, Brian, thanks a lot for joining, man. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem, Matt. It was a pleasure.